0: Well, how are you doing this morning? Are you ready for another episode of Roadmap to Heaven? Here I'm Adam Wright, and I am so happy to be with you as we begin this Friday together here on August 11th at 7 a.m. Let's have let's have a great, great morning together. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh, Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. For all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have a wonderful show in store for you this morning. Uh, We're going to have a visitor to the studio. I'm very excited about it, but I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a few moments. Today is the feast, uh, depending on the calendar. And, And, you know, this is one of those things Mike Roberts and I talk about. Every day, there are multiple saints we can celebrate. Some are designated on the the liturgical calendar as the saint of the day. Some are saints that were traditionally honored on this day. There are just so many saints that we can celebrate. So in addition to it being the Memorial of St. Clair, this is a day that we traditionally celebrate St. Philomena as well, And uh, so we're going to be talking about her. We know a lot about St. Clair. We've heard a lot about St. Clair. I want to talk about St. Philomena today. We're also going to hear a wonderful homily from Father Schumacher on that that saying, saved by grace. What does that mean? And how do we feel about that as Catholics? Um, You know... So we're going to hear a homily about that. And then Father Peregrine Fletcher from the Norbertine Fathers is going to be with us talking about St. Philomena. And uh, if we have a chance, we're going to ask him about life in the Norbertines as well. So that's all ahead on the show today. Before we can get to any of that, though, let's go to Mike Roberts and find out what the weather has in store. Because one thing I know for certain, we are going to have weather today.
1: Today is the memorial of St. Clair of Assisi. Born in Italy at the end of the 12th century, her baptismal name was Chiera, which is Italian for Claire. Her father and mother, Favarone and Ortolana Offerduccio, were from an ancient Roman family. Her father was a count, and the family had a great love for the Lord. As a child, she was devoted to prayer. As she was growing up, the family looked for a proper husband for her and seemed to have found one when she was in her mid-teens. But all of this changed when Clare heard the preaching of St. Francis of Assisi during a Lenten service. Afterwards, on the evening of Palm Sunday, 1212, she left her father's castle. Some say she escaped and was escorted by her Aunt Bianca to meet St. Francis in a small chapel. There, she received her habit and had her beautiful long hair cut by Francis. Francis directed Clare to enter the Benedictines at a local monastery. After several attempts by her father to retrieve her, Francis sent Claire to another Benedictine monastery near Subatio, where she was later joined by her sister, who took the name Agnes and would become a saint herself. Eventually, other women joined them, including Claire's mother. Still in her early 20s and somewhat reluctantly, Claire accepted the role Francis gave her as abbess, a role she would hold for the rest of her life. Eventually, Francis moved them from the Benedictines to a small dwelling next to the church of San Damiano and living in poverty, austerity, and seclusion, they became known as the poor ladies of San Damiano. The nuns begged for what they needed and then shared what they were given with the poor. Claire would wash the feet of the nuns when they returned. Though she never left San Damiano, Claire became widely known and popes, cardinals, and bishops came to her seeking guidance. At one point, when an attack by the Saracens seemed imminent, St. Clare had the Blessed Sacrament placed on the walls of San Damiano, and she said, I beseech thee, O Lord, protect these whom I am now unable to protect. After telling the sisters not to be afraid, the Saracens fled. Clare and Francis remained close friends until his death in 1226. After many years of poor health, She died on this day in 1253. St. Clair of Assisi, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day.
2: Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts.
3: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A prayer for the Archbishop. Heavenly Father, In these trying times when the spirit of the age threatens Christian values, give our bishop holiness of life and wisdom to direct and guide our archdiocesan family so that we may grow in your love. We ask this through Christ our Lord.
0: Amen. There's very rarely a week that goes by here on the show without me talking about my kids. And with Back to School, one of the things I try to be cognizant of is the question, what are my children reading? And I like to supplement what they read at school with good books at home. And I'm happy to have had this book come across my desk. It's called My Name is Philomena. It's by Father Peregrine Fletcher, who is a Norbertine father out of California, but a native St. Louisan. And father is... On a home visit, and was kind enough to drop by our studio and sit down with us today for Roadmap to Heaven, Father. It's great to be with you.
2: Thank you so much for the invite. It's always great to be back in my hometown of St. Louis. I'm happy to be here with you today.
0: Well, I have to tell you, I love this book saint philomena has a beautiful story of a martyr's death and it's one of those things that is my kids are, oh dad can we get this book can we get that book you know they just see good pictures and they say well that's the book i want and this is a beautifully illustrated book as well and rather than the story of you know when i was growing up we had the big red dog and I, not, no, no disrespect to clifford he was he was a good big red dog i enjoyed clifford uh but this is a wonderful story about an actual saint that can inspire children, and I think the parents reading to them everywhere. Uh,
2: Before we dive in, I'd love to ask this question for our listeners. Who was St. Philomena? Well, that is a great question. And uh, St. Philomena is a very unique saint. She is a virgin martyr from the early church around the third and fourth century. And uh, she was a saint who, who vowed her life to Christ, and she uh, decided to become uh, a consecrated virgin, married to the Lord, and him only. And she got in big trouble for that because in the Roman Empire, the Emperor Diocletian, uh, when he fell in love with her, asked her to compromise her vow, and she wouldn't do that. So she had a very epic uh, life story of uh, a great suffering and great trial, but great victory in martyrdom. So she's an early saint, Uh, whose uh, relics and tomb really wasn't discovered until the 19th century, in 1802 when excavators were excavating in the catacombs of St. Priscilla and they discovered among the tombs of the martyrs A tomb with a nameplate in terracotta tiles, Philomena, Pax Tecum, Philomena, the terracotta tiles read. And so they searched the archives for a saint by this name and they couldn't really find anything. So they realized that uh, this saint, Philomena, this martyr, uh, has been unknown for many, many years. So she's a unique saint in so many ways. The few details that we know about her story, you can glean from the images that were engraved on her tombstone, an anchor and arrows, a lily for purity, a palm for martyrdom. You see that the ancient Christians inscribed in her very tomb uh, the images that we so associate with her now. And then later on, as history develops in the coming decades, we see a few private revelations which uh, later on the church approves for. Uh, for spreading and for telling the details of her story. So the details in this book are drawn from the historical discovery of her relics, her tomb, the symbols found there, the few details we've gleaned from the private revelations, all of which culminates uh, in an amazing story, really, of a saint who, through her intercession, has uh, has, has brought many miracles of healing, many graces into the church, which have been documented, especially in and around her shrine in Southern Italy.
0: Now, spoiler alert for those who are going to read the book, uh, but it, I'll tell you what, you'll still love the book when you read it. Uh, you've heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den or the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, uh, That's a good start when we're talking about Philomena. Mm -hmm. They they each endured those trials and were delivered from those trials. But as I was going through the book, I... I You know, I'm expecting her to suffer. I am not expecting each of these things. You've alluded to some of them, the anchor and the arrows. What an amazing tradition that's handed down about the ways she suffered at the hands of Diocletian and then
2: the way the Lord delivered her. Amen. And the way that she suffered, in a way, it's obviously uh, very striking to us, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary for uh, the ancient Christians in the time of Diocletian, and if you look through history, you'll see that Diocletian was known to have tied anchors around the necks of Christians and thrown them into the Tiber River. He was known to shoot arrows at them or shoot flaming arrows at times at the at these Christians, or he ordered his soldiers to do so. So the St. Philomena's story, we look at it and it's just, it's astonishing to us that this little girl endured all of this. But back in the, in the time of those early persecutions, uh, these stories would have been Fairly normal, unfortunately. I'm, but also it was, I guess, fortunate in the in the light of grace, where God raised these heroes and they became martyrs and saints who we're still talking about today. And, and
0: normally, when Diocletian would have an anchor tied around the neck of a Christian and have them thrown into the Tiber, that would be the end of their earthly life. Mm-hmm. They would pass on mm-hmm. to God willing heaven mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. at a martyr's death, but not for
2: Philomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, the Lord seemed to choose her as he has done with many saints through history. He has allowed uh, miracles to occur to save these martyrs in their trials. Now, eventually, another spoiler, but not really a spoiler, uh, one of the uh, tortures does finally kill St. Philomena, and she's murdered and she's martyred. But uh, the the Lord sustained her through many of the trials so that she could be an example for Christians today. And really, if you look at even your own life, uh, the lives of those you know, you see the Lord sustaining people in their trials. So what she received, those graces she received, are also graces that the Lord is giving us every day. Even if we don't even notice them, the Lord is constantly sustaining us. In our trials and saint philomena is a superb example of that in the ancient world
0: now that comes to the lesson i, I want to get to about this book because as i think of bedtime stories for the kids usually uh, if there are arrows being flung it's at the mighty dragon by the the handsome knight um, or if there are super natural things it's you know superheroes coming in to save the day a martyr's death usually is not what we think of for a fine bedtime story but really, this helps lay a foundation with our children that as they grow up and they endure trials, probably less uh, less terrible, shall we say, than arrows or anchors or whatnot, they've already got that foundation now that God is with them in their sufferings and that he is sending his grace and he's sending his angels to be with us.
2: Yeah, Adam, you nailed the main theme of the book and what I want children and parents anyone who reads this book to take away from this is that there really is no suffering. There is no trial that you endure, that the Lord is not there with you. And I hope that as you flip through the pages of this book and you see the illustrations, you'll see that Christ is there at every step, in each stage of her life, and that there's no point in which he's not actively uh, with St. Philomena. And so I tried to illustrate these uh, her story with also sensitivity, you know. So um, there's a lot of um, metaphorical uh, images or the sufferings that are depicted are either just before the suffering or after, um, with a couple of exceptions. But I think people will find that there are ways in which you can introduce children to the reality of martyrdom that is actually consoling to them. And it's not frightening as much as you see how Uh, how beautiful and how amazing it is and how consoling it is that the Lord is there supporting St. Philomena.
0: I thought to myself as I was reading this book, am I ready to stand up in today's culture? You know, we don't have Diocletian, but we certainly have what Pope Benedict uh, called the dictatorship of relativism, and uh, just as bad but in a different way. Am I ready to endure sufferings as Philomena did to stand up and not compromise My promises to the Lord to live a life of holiness, to witness to the gospel, and to live that life of faith.
2: Yeah, I think this whole culture that we live in is really, as it's been called, a culture of death. And so this is not, in a way, to to discourage us. This is a reality we live in, and the saints give us encouragement. How to be joyful when you live surrounded by a culture of death and this dictatorship of relativism. Uh, Yes, the evil spirits which were influencing the Emperor Diocletian are still very much at work in this world. It's all of the the evil. uh, The source is the same. Um, So we we can take great courage from these stories. The ancient martyrs are so relevant, and not everyone believes that people often kind of uh, look for uh, saints or heroes that are in today's day and age, but uh, we are not really separated by the saints uh, of the ancient world as much as we might think. Maybe by time, okay, but by grace, their stories are still relevant and still show us the example that we need and encourage us to be joyful martyrs ourselves, if God calls us to be that, uh, one way or another.
0: Well, Father, this has been wonderful to talk about St. Philomena. We've gone a little bit longer than we normally do here on the show, so what I'd like to do is take a break, and then when we come back, I'd love to ask you about the Norbertines because uh, we we don't have Norbertines here in St. Louis, but we do have them in our listening area up in Springfield at the Evermode Institute. Uh, But I always love to talk about vocations on the show. So if that's all right with you, we're going to take a break here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with Father Peregrine Fletcher after this.
4: prayer for vocations. God, our Father, who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of your truth, we beg you to send laborers into your harvest and grant them grace to speak your word with all boldness so that your word may spread and be glorified and all nations may know you, the only God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of the Americas, and Mary, Mother of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, pray for us.
0: We are back, and if you're just joining us today, we're honored to have Father Paragon Fletcher drop by the studio. He, he was sharing with us before the break about his book, My Name is Philomena, but I'd like to talk about vocations here for a moment. Uh, Father, you, you wear a very distinct habit, and you have a, a notation after your name on the cover of the book, O Oprame. That's not one we see um, all of the time, and not what I was expecting, because normally I hear your order referred to as the Norbertines. So, When we talk about Norbertine fathers, I think the the big questions we always want to ask, who are the Norbertines? What's your charism? What is opraim? And how do you all live that out in your apostolates?
2: That's a really good question. And uh, the the Norbertine order is a uh, 900-year-old order, 900-plus years now. Um, So we've been around for a very long time. St. Norbert, 900 years ago, founded our order uh, somewhat reluctantly he didn't set out to found an order but uh, especially the ecclesiastical authorities of his day in age the popes and uh, and other leaders in the church encouraged saint norbert to uh, to to form this community to help reform the clergy saint norbert uh, was a great reformer of the clergy and he really wanted his order to be a place in which clerics could live a life of holiness in community, do penance, and live according to a specific rule of life, which is the rule of St. Augustinus, the rule that we read from every day at the Abbey, every weekday, I should say. And so it was this idea of, of really clerical reform and clerical holiness. And I would say that that's also still very relevant today. We need, uh, we need an ever-increasing holiness in our priests. And a monastery, like a Norbertine monastery, is precisely one of the locations where, God willing, you should be able to find that. And St. Michael's Abbey in Southern California, when I was discerning my vocation and when I found the abbey, um, which is so far from my beloved hometown of St. Louis, but I felt such a call when I discovered St. Norbert, uh, when I discovered this community of brothers who are really from all over North America and uh, and, and Mexico too. Uh, so it was a very... Um, inspiring place, and I immediately knew that—I didn't know if I was called to be there, but I knew that this was a place that I needed to give a try, and now it's been 10 years I entered in 2013. I made my solemn profession of vows uh, in 2019, and I was also ordained a deacon that year, and in the following very memorable year of 2020, I was ordained to the priesthood.
0: Wow. Now when, when we talk about religious orders, you've said Norbertines, we think of the Franciscans named after mm-hmm. St. Francis, uh, the Dominicans named after St. Dominic, and uh, then we look at the letters after the names. You know, With the Franciscans, probably the, the most regular, you have OFM, Order of Friars Minor, or Order of Friars Major. Uh, with the Dominicans, OP, which has nothing to do with the name Dominic, but everything to do with what his order mm-hmm. did, the order of preachers mm-hmm. and what they still do to this day. Then we come to the Norbertines and we see Opraim, usually as the abbreviation after everything. What are we reading when we read that?
2: Right. Well, uh, as you alluded to, uh, Saint. Norbert did not name his uh, early followers as Norbertines. That was something that the later later disciples uh, would have called themselves after the, their beloved founder. but the, the designation of Opraim after our name, Refers to uh, the Latin title Ordinis Premonstratensis, or in English, the Order of Premontré. Premontré was a small, is a, a small uh, valley, uh, now a little town there in northern France, and that was the location uh, that Saint Norbert decided to establish his uh, community. So Saint Norbert and those who followed him uh, in religion were called the order of Premontre, after the place in which they lived and then later on as history unfolds they they start to become the norbertines
0: similar to if if perhaps someone was called to start a religious order here in st louis and they didn't have a name at first and they said well that's the order from st louis the, right, the order of st like louisans yeah.
2: exactly exactly
0: now you mentioned this that you are from St. Louis And in fact, uh, you and I met many years ago, I believe, at a Christ power retreat over at Kenrick Lennon Seminary. Uh, we, we probably have several mutual friends from your time in seminary mm-hmm. there. How did you go from studying for the diocesan priesthood to Southern California to the Norbertine Abbey? And it, it's Abbey or Monastery?:
2: it's, a, it, it's, it's, a, it's both, really, but Abbey is our formal, our formal okay. name. We're an abbey now.
0: Yeah. So, how do, how does one go from seminary in St. Louis to the Norbertine Abbey?
2: Gosh, that is such a good question. And only the eyes of our Lord saw this coming for me. I did not. But my time at the at the seminary here in St. Louis was so good, and uh, we have so many wonderful seminarians and priests. Um, and I certainly uh, didn't leave because uh, I, things were bad. Actually, things were good. Uh, but I had this internal sense that um, that uh, Somehow, there was something else. There was a component of my vocation that I wasn't I didn't have access to or I wasn't quite fulfilling. And um, it was a mystery to me. So I talked to my uh, superiors and the priests at the seminary and um, explained to them the predicament that I'm actually doing really well. Um, I feel happy. Uh, I could see myself doing this, but I also have a deep sense that there's something missing, and I do feel like it's worthwhile figuring that out. So maybe I should leave the seminary and just discern uh, discern what's going on here. They were very kind to me and, and gave me their blessing and permission to do so, with the idea, uh, which gave me consolation, that if I take a step out and discern, I could come back. Long story short, I in spiritual direction, I decided, uh, or I should say my spiritual director, recommended that while I'm away from the seminary, I should really look into religious life after explaining my own spiritual life my desire this idea that something's missing he said it might be it might be the religious life the religious priesthood so I went on a number of retreats and I, the last place was St Michael's and it was so far from home and I thought this is never going to work but as soon as I was uh, driving up the uh, driveway the just the general sense of the monastery I had I was overwhelmed by this idea by the sense that this is this is it, and I couldn't I couldn't explain why. But th- my later r- retreat, as those days unfolded, really confirmed that. So I wrestled with God because it was so far from home, but I decided, as I mentioned, that I need to at least give this a try.
0: Wow. I, I think back to my time of discernment, uh, probably about the same time you were discerning, entering mm-hmm. Kenrick Lennon as a seminarian, and— uh, Monsignor Butler was the vocation director at the time, but then also several vocation directors from the religious orders here in St. Louis, of which there there is no shortage of religious orders, and all said the same thing, that the call to the priesthood and the call to the religious life are really two separate calls. And some men are called to the diocesan priesthood, some are called to the religious life, and some are called to be priests in the religious life. I think of the Franciscan brothers and Jesuit brothers I knew when I was growing up. Not all of the Franciscans and Jesuits I knew were priests. Some of them were brothers, and many of them were priests. So you go—it it sounds like you, you, you're hearing that call, maybe not knowing what it was at first, but you're hearing that call that God's calling you to something in addition to the priesthood, and that's how you end up with the Norbertines. Now, when you, you see that this is what God's moving you to, saying, all right, go here, study here, check this out. What happens then? You know, that, that's probably—we think of men in the diocesan seminary that they go, they get their degree in philosophy, they get their degree in theology, they have their practical uh, application year, their pastoral year, their year of being a transitional deacon, and then they're ordained a priest. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned that it was quite some time between when you entered and when you were ordained.
2: It's really true. I mean, when I entered seminary, the first first time around, I was 19. Uh, by the time I was ordained, I was 33. So there, was, uh, there were many years in between. But when you enter St. Michael's, um, you become a postulant, and that comes from the Latin word to ask. Uh, so it's someone who's, who's, who's seeking, who's asking, who's just uh, discerning if this is right. And you stay as a postulant for four months. In that four months, you're discerning. The community is discerning. The abbot is discerning if this is the right fit. Uh, and then, uh, God willing, on Christmas Eve, as is the tradition uh, of, of our order, we take habit. We are given uh, the habit in a, a ceremony, beautiful ceremony called a vestition semin- uh, ceremony where we are vested in the white habit of the order of premontre and you are given a new name in the order and a new patron saint that the abbot decides. You provide a few names for him. He wants to know who who you're devoted to, uh, if there are some names available. If if another father or frater or brother, as we say, has that name, it's not uh, it's not up for grabs uh, anymore. But. Uh, So he asks you, and then you're given that name on Christmas Eve, and you begin your Norbertine life then. Then you become a Norbertine novice, and you're a novice in our community for two years. You're not uh, doing much studying. You're just uh, taking some little courses in spirituality, the history of our order. You're learning a lot of Latin. We do a lot of Latin uh, at the Abbey, thankfully. And then after two years of your novitiate, you take your first vows. You become what we call a junior professed and uh, that's a temporary uh, profession of vows lasting for 3 years and you keep renewing those vows until the community uh, the abbot decides that you're ready for solemn profession of vows once you make your solemn profession of vows you you are uh, essentially then uh, you know married uh, to God this community and uh, you no longer have to renew the vows then, uh, it, also God willing, you are likely going to be ordained a deacon or a priest. We're typically a very clerical community, but it's not out of uh, the, it's not out of the realm of possibility to be a brother. And that's kind of, in a nutshell, one's course through formation. It,
0: it, it mirrors in a beautiful way those who are married that they have that period of courtship, and then a period of engagement before taking the the vows of marriage. That's
2: a good like, connection, and it's absolutely true. It's a very it's a very helpful uh, way to discern and gradually approach this pretty big vocation.
0: Wonderful. Now, Peregrine, mm-hmm. St. Peregrine, the only thing I know about St. Peregrine, uh, patron of cancer mm-hmm. patients. Mm-hmm. How did you come to be? Because when I first met you, you were Patrick, and now you're Father Peregrine.
2: Right. So St. Peregrine came as uh, just an amazing uh surprise to me, too. There are so many surprises. I guess that's how God works, and I'm I'm glad for that. My life is much more surprising and interesting than I ever intended it to be. But um, the summer before I entered uh, the abbey, I was making a pilgrimage to the uh, shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Wisconsin. And there, uh, His Eminence Cardinal Burke set up many side altars to uh, to saints, and one of whom is Saint Peregrine. And I was serving mass there for a priest friend of mine, and I had I, I I hadn't known anything about Saint Peregrine, but there's a beautiful painting there, and I was serving mass and looking at the painting of Saint Peregrine and the Lord appearing to him and through the crucifix, and I saw his leg was wounded, and it was a mystery to me, but I felt this connection to Saint Peregrine, and I really, um, I I I. I yeah, I was very intrigued. So after that mass, I went to the gift shop and I bought a little statue of St. Peregrine. And I took that home with me that summer. And I just started, uh, you know, praying to him and learning about him. And then I went to the Abbey and my four months of postulancy went by. And it came time for me to put down on the list, saints for Father Abbott to consider. And as I was thinking, I thought, oh, well, Saint Peregrine I don't I still didn't know a ton about him I was no expert um uh, nor was I fervently devoted but uh, I had this uh, intuition that I should write his name down so I wrote his name down on the list and I thought Father Abbott will decide and then I'll know if it was God's will or not and uh, Christmas Eve comes around and I'm uh, being vested in the white habit and then Father uh, Abbott tells me and all the uh, confers gathered in our community you will be known as Peregrine so I became brother or Fronter as we say at the Abbey Peregrine and then later uh, was uh, ordained and became father Peregrine
0: I'm, I'm smiling right now because as you say this I'm thinking of my son who is in his eighth grade year he, he begins eighth grade next week and he's already asked dad what's a confirmation name and and how do I pick a saint to uh, to take that name now I have another story to tell him awesome. about here you know there are many saints and just go out and find one that Moves you.
2: Amen. And we really believe at the Abbey that our patron saints choose us. It's not so much about us. The weight is off of our shoulders in a way. If you are praying, if you are living uh, this life authentically, the saints are watching over us. They are a cloud of witness as we hear from the scriptures. And so... In a way, it's, uh, yeah, the, there's not so much pressure on us. They'll find us. So we just have to be open, and I really believe that St. Peregrine found—and I'm finding out more and more about him as my religious life unfolds and why he was just the perfect patron.
0: Now, that's, that's another question, because with some religious orders, the name you had is your baptismal name, is your name. You, mm-hmm. you enter into the order, they you mm-hmm. make your first vows, your final vows, you're ordained. I know uh, many— I, I grew up in a Jesuit high school, so and, and a Franciscan parish. So Father Al, he was Al from his baptism, you know, and so on. Your baptismal name is not your name anymore, and that's a, that, that's something that I've heard explained before. And, and every time I hear it explained, I can't help but think it's beautiful. But why why do you give up that name and take on this new name?
2: Yes, well, in a way. It's an important aspect of our new life that we take on when we enter a monastery. We all consider ourselves sinners who have come to a monastery to live this life of prayer and penance and conversion of our ways. We vow a conversion of our ways in our profession formula. It's really important for a Norbertine. So there's a sense in which we're starting afresh in our life. It's one of the most beautiful things about monastic life, life in an abbey. Uh, you get a really fresh start. You get a new outfit, so to speak, which is a sacramental sign of the new life that we've been given. We're preparing ourselves when we enter for a life of uh, living in vows, which is another aspect of our new life in Christ. When we put on the habit, we have you know this prayer that recalls the new man that we have become and are becoming. So the idea that you take on a new name is another important aspect of that. And an important also aspect is that you have a patron saint watching over you uh, and your religious life, someone who has made it to heaven, someone who is praying for you to get there too. Um, Now, I will say that your baptismal name, it's not as though it's uh, somehow eradicated. We uh, actually just kind of make it our middle name. So at the Abbey, if you look on our website, you'll see it's Father Peregrine Patrick Fletcher. And our parents are very grateful for that. And Father Abbott told uh, my folks uh, when they came to the Abbey for the first time after my vestition, Father Abbott said, you know, he'll always be Patrick to you. And our superiors are very sensitive to the fact that it can be harder for families. But in a way, uh, it's also something really beautiful. So Hatrick is still a part of my name and who I am. And now I have this added name, uh, Peregrine, that is my name in religion.
0: I would imagine some of our listeners are curious, and I'm curious as well. You're on home visit right now. So when you come home, do your mother and father still call you Patrick?
2: They call me all of the above. They call me Father Peregrine at times. They call me Peregrine. Sometimes they came to visit me when I studied in Rome. I studied in Rome briefly just for one year. And in Rome, St. Peregrine was an Italian saint. He was named in Italian. Pellegrino is the Italian, and my mother, being Italian, loved that. So sometimes they'll call me Pellegrino, and sometimes they'll call me Patrick. I don't have one particular name that I hear when I'm visiting my family.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful, Father. Uh, As we wrap up, I I wanted to ask, because I've heard that St. Michael's Abbey, recently within the past 10 years or so, had to add on. There were so many men coming to the Norbertines, and now with even with the addition, uh, you, you're filling up. Um, right. you know, praise God for the many men seeking out the vocation. If a young man's listening right now and says, well, maybe if they still have room, I'd like to, to come mm-hmm. see if this is where God's calling me to. How can our listeners find out more about the Norbertines?
2: Well, if you're interested in learning about us uh like many religious communities today, we are online and and very available there. You can uh, find our website. We, you can call the Abbey. Uh, we have a vocation page on our site as well. If people are generally interested in the Abbey, we have a team of people who have done a really great job of presenting our Abbey, our liturgies, events, and our life on Instagram. You can see all these amazing photos. So you're welcome to look there. If you're, but I would say that if you're interested in a vocation, the, the first thing is pray and look us up and see if it's—especially if it's worth a trip out to California. That was my first consideration. And I looked online, and I realized, yeah, I think they're worth looking into. And little did I know, 10 years, I would actually still be one. So,
0: And for our listeners in the Diocese of Springfield, you actually have a wonderful opportunity to get to know the Norbertines, who are at the Evermode Institute at the uh, former— St. Francis Convent, uh, the the Health Sisters of St. Francis, who are still there, Mm -hmm. um, and and beautiful things happening in the Diocese of Springfield as they will be offering catechesis for all of the catechists Mm -hmm. in the diocese and ongoing formation for them. Father Peregrine, it has been an absolute joy to spend this time with you this morning talking about St. Philomena, talking about the Norbertines and your vocation. Could I ask you to conclude our time together with a prayer?
2: Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit— Amen. Amen. Almighty Father, we come before you today thankful for the gift of your saints, St. Norbert and St. Philomena, and all those enfolded in the cloud of witnesses above us. We ask that you help us to join them one day, make us holy, and make us to fulfill our holy vocations. And we ask all of this Through the intercession of Our Lady, as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
0: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
2: Amen. St. Philomena, pray pray for for us. us. St. Norbert,
0: pray for us. And St.
2: Louis, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.
0: Father, once again, thank you for being with us. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven, but don't go anywhere. We've got more for you after this.
4: A Prayer to Redeem Lost Time by St. Teresa of Avila O my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen.
0: We are wrapping up our week talking about 2,000 years of continuity. And Patty, I have loved every one of these things you've been sharing with us from the past 2,000 years of our Catholic faith.
5: Well, today I want to talk about something that is almost 2,000 years of continuity. Just, It was part of the early church. It's the Nicene Creed that we say every Sunday. Every Sunday when we say the Creed, I just want us to remember that these truths that are articulated in the Nicene Creed have been a part of our faith since the very beginning. They were first articulated in the year 325 at the Council of Nicaea. The creed was composed in order to combat heresy, the heresy of Arianism. And that false heresy taught that Christ was different from God, a creation of God, but actually not God himself. So Saint Athanasius formulated the doctrine to combat Arianism, saying that Jesus is the same substance as the Father. There's that word, consubstantial with the Father. That was to combat Arianism. But the question for us today is, why do we have a creed? Why should we say it? Why should we memorize it? Well, it's important and helpful to have a short memorizable symbol of our faith. The core of Christian belief is in this creed. It's the basis of our faith. So today, I just want to encourage you to spend some time with our beautiful creed, the Nicene Creed. At Mass, don't just ramble through the words, but savor and think about every phrase that you say and know that the words you say were formulated back in the year 325. That's 1,700 years of continuity with the profession of our faith. You gotta love it.
0: Patty, I have loved every one of these encouragements this week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And friends, if you've loved them as well, don't forget to click like and subscribe for our podcast listeners. And for our radio listeners, be sure to share the Daily Dose of Encouragement podcast with a friend by visiting ourcatholicradio.org. Ave
3: Regina Chelorum. Hail, O Queen of heaven enthroned. Hail, by angels mistress owned. Root of Jesse, gate of morn. Whence the world's true light was born. Glorious virgin joy to thee. Loveliest whom in heaven they see. Fairest thou where all are fair. Plead with Christ our sins to spare.
0: Well, thank you for letting me spend part of your Friday morning With you here on Roadmap to Heaven this morning, it's always a joy to spend the morning with you. And I hope you've enjoyed our time together with Father Peregrine and the many wonderful things we've learned today. You know, as we were listening to the song during the last break, uh, Louis Armstrong, When the Saints Go Marching In, I couldn't help but think, isn't that the goal? I want to be in that number. I want you to be in that number. I want to go together. We all should want to be in that number. So as you go through your Friday today, as you go into the weekend, orient everything around that goal. I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I'd like to close out by reminding us all that next week Tuesday is a holy day of obligation. So have your plan for where and when you will go to Holy Mass. It's a beautiful thing to celebrate the Blessed Mother's Feast day, the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, I don't know what else to say, so I'll just say this. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. And as the Blessed Mother reminded us, back at the apparitions of Fatima and every apparition since and throughout all of time, draw near to her son. And the one of the easiest ways to do that is to pray your rosary today.